The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Kia ora and welcome to the second in the summer reissue series of The Fold. Uh, this week we have Lucy Blackiston, who is the wonder kind behind a Shit You Should Care About, which is an Instagram account with three and a half odd million followers that basically does news for young people, but over the course of this year, she expanded into a second podcast and a daily newsletter, both of which I highly recommend. She's been working out of the spin-off offices for most of the year, collaborating with us on multiple properties. And she's, I genuinely think, like a, a, on a world level, a media genius, especially for knowing how to speak to a Gen Z audience, which is basically something that most grown-up inverted commas media organizations are pretty bad at so um if you're in any if you want to speak to young people in basically any form uh, i think this is a good one to listen to No mai hoki mai ki the fold e mihi nei ko Duncan Grieve toku ngā. Uh, welcome to the fold, and uh, this is the latest in my greatest series on people who make the media and don't just run the media. Though this is honestly kind of a hybrid because my guest this week is Lucy Blackiston, who is one third of, but that is certainly the leader of shit you should care about. Okay, Siska which is a media company that, you know, its its main you know, central force is an Instagram account that was founded in 2018 to basically break down the kind of jargon and uh, the barriers of entry to sort of news and issues and now has 3 million followers, which is just, I mean, think about that. The, the, this, this world that we live in, uh, a lot of the time the... The technological aspects of it can seem kind of bleak, but the fact that three young women from Blenheim can start a global uh, media company with three million people um, following it is is quite extraordinary. Um, so there's just so much that's interesting about about Lucy and about Siska. I mean, firstly, just the fact of taking Instagram, uh, you know, a, a site that was founded you know, 9, 10, 11 years ago as a place for people to share photos and saying, okay, well, this is the perfect place for us to do news and information for a different generation. And that's just, that's an extraordinary insight on its own. But also the reason it's successful is the way that they did that, the, the tone of voice and what informed it. And that's a lot of what we talk about here. And then the other big thing I think that that Lucy knows and that we all should think about is that she she represents for me like a someone who kind of just naturally speaks to and embodies the kind of tone and values of her generation in this very natural way and sort of 
And thus, when she sort of speaks, and because she's been sort of running this thing throughout that time, she's had access to this enormous stream of information and, and experience as a result. Um, full disclosure, uh, Lucy and I are friends and talk a lot, and shit you should care about uh, making a show with Hexwork Productions. So just by way of disclosure and by way of kind of understanding uh, the the nature of the conversation, the fold is brought to you by Vodafone. Vodafone for business is what um, underpins the spinoff. As you know, we do podcasts. We uh, through our sister production company Hexwork, we do we work with like 4K video files. We've got a content studio called Daylight. They are working with tremendous amounts of data. It has to be up. It has to be on and accessible. Underneath all of that is Vodafone, so everything we do is built on that. So if you are starting a business or procuring internet for your business, give them a hard look at vodafone.co.nz. This is Lucy Blackiston on The Fold. Um, Kia ora, Lucy. Kia ora. Welcome to The Fold. I'm so excited about this. Basically because we, we just we talk a lot about this anyway and it just feels good to do with a hot mic. It does. It also kind of nerve-wracking because we are massive nerds. Yeah, but that's that's um, that's a safe space for that kind of nerdery. It's it's the fold. Uh, I want you to start by just telling me that this this shit you should care about the Cisco origin story because it's it's a buzzy one. Is it a buzzy one? I think so because just the uh, you know the the location and the sort of seeming like I'll just do this to see what happens and then what happens. Yeah. Okay. Well, dunk. I was sitting in a lecture theatre um, at Victoria University. It was in my third year of study. What were you studying? I was studying international relations, politics, and the media. Hey. Yeah. Um, and I was just listening to my lecture bang on about all these international relations and things that were happening in the world, and I was genuinely sitting there just thinking, why do I have no idea about any of the things you're referencing? Like, I don't think I'm particularly dumb. I'm in my third year of studying this, and I'm quite, I would like to think that I was quite tuned into the world, but I had no idea. I couldn't get past the jargon. I couldn't understand any of the sort of news terms he was trying to flex with, I guess. No, no hate on the lecturer. But anyway, I just wasn't getting it, and everyone around me was sort of nodding, being like, yeah, I understand this. I was like, no, you fucking don't. (laughs) And I didn't. So then I text Ruby and Liv, who are my two co-founders, and I just text them saying, I think we need to start something called Shit You Should Care About because the world needs to feel a little bit more accessible and we need to be able to talk about or care about whatever we want. It's very sort of subjective and... Haven't strayed from those initial texts. I read them the other day. Oh, so the, the, there's so many things I find real fascinating about Cisco because, like, you know, the problem diagnosis I think is manifest, and I and I kind of would like to talk about that later on. But the the solve that you came up with for it is the thing that like buzzes me out because I don't know what what the conventional the logical solution would be to start a blog or a magazine or I don't I honestly don't know it sounds like hell to me but you started an Instagram account yeah and it's gone quite well uh, so what why why that medium so cuz it's supposed to be for sharing pictures I'm just just to be clear yeah so 
We were all native Instagram users, right? We grew up with the platform pretty much. And me, Ruby and Liv have always just thought real hard about everything we see all the time. And we were sick of seeing influencers just trying to sell us shit and seeing Instagram be used as this kind of fake reality that had no substance to it. And we did at the start think it was going to be a blog, a website, where we were writing three pieces a week about stuff that we cared about, thinking that people actually wanted to read that and that we could output that while we were doing uni, which we absolutely couldn't. So then, and it didn't feel groundbreaking at the time, I just sort of started taking the information I was seeing in the news and putting it on Instagram, but like underlining bits that made sense and, you know, doing the doing the figuring it out for anyone that was following us on Instagram. Didn't feel crazy to put information on Instagram, but it kind of sort of was. It was new. Well, yeah, because that's what it feels to me. And now you start to see it a bit more in that, you know, like obviously yeah. original ideas are hard to come by. Mm. But um, had you were, were there other people doing it before then? Or, or what, what sort of do you think has driven... It's success because you have this thing that you talk about how you're not an expert. And I mean, honestly, just before we came on air, you seem to not know how to put on headphones, which is... <laughs> I'm not oh. an expert. I have to yeah, make sure everyone that meets me knows I'm not an expert. And if I have to do that with headphones, just to set oh, the tone... Oh, so that was just like a way of disarming It was me. a play. I yeah, just played you, don't crazy. <laughs> okay. I don't think other people were doing it at the time, or I wasn't aware of it, or I just didn't notice it happening at the time. And... It didn't feel weird. It just felt very natural because we were already on this platform. And I like problem solving, so it felt like, okay, you've only got... I think when we started doing it, you didn't even have a carousel post. It was just like you had to kind of get it done in one post, I think. And so it was like problem solving. How can I condense this huge issue into something on this platform that is going to make sense? And I kind of liked that challenge. And I love social media. I've grown up as like a massive One Direction fan. When I was younger, I had a, a Twitter account with 70,000 followers. We're going to talk about this. We're we going to hold it back, hold it back. Okay. Um, and so social media has felt very natural to me, and I I love communicating. And it was just a place that I could communicate the easiest. So what are some kind of breakthrough moments in terms of like that, that have kind of vaulted it up? Because you founded it in what, 20, 2018. 2018. And... I think at the start of last year, you were around like 250,000. Massive number. Yeah. Like but a week ago, you popped through three mil. Yeah. So um, what were the big kind of things that jolted you along the way? Or, or whether, whether they're sort of stories or just moments where you're like, holy, this is, this is a, a thing yeah. that's happening here. So the first, I think the first moment that I realized it was meaningful was when the Christchurch mosque attacks happened. And it wasn't that I was sharing news about it. I just wrote something to sort of do what I could and show what solidarity I could just about, you know, we are with you. And I think it got like a thousand likes. And I was thinking, okay, people want something to share that shows that that they are feeling and that they are supporting, you know, the people that are struggling right now. But maybe they don't all have the words. And if I could give them the words in that moment, then I was kind of like, this feels good and this feels right. And that was the first time I noticed, you know, something strange happening with the platform that people actually wanted to share stuff. And then I moved to Colombia. And so I was in the US time zone or the Latin American time zone. And America is obviously quite fucked up as a concept. And so... 
there were these abortion laws that were trying to be passed as they still are. And I was sharing information about that, that people could understand. And I think, again, that was the next thing that people really started getting on board with and sharing. And that got us to maybe like 40,000 followers. So then I think I sort of could see the system about people wanting to look like they cared on Instagram. And if I could give them meaningful information to care with, then amazing. And so sharing obviously became a huge part of the growth. And then 2020 happened. And obviously everyone's stuck inside and COVID-19 is happening and it's this mystifying thing that no one understands and there's too much information about. So I would just do a daily no bullshit like COVID update. And then they're all on their phones already. So they're sharing that. Black Lives Matter happens. And so that was a real turning point for Siska because that was really like, this is absolutely not about our voice. It is absolutely not about what we think or feel. It is about uplifting the people in the community that we're lucky enough to have. And so that was a real, like, for me, that was learning how to run a platform that is actually meaningful and kind of doing the work properly. And it's just not about my voice. So, yeah, I was going to ask about that. So, um, like, you, uh, Ruby and Liv, three Pākehā women mm-hmm. from Blenheim, mm-hmm talking to the world and navigating these like super complex social issues from the world. Like, and it's like, you've got a massive audience for New Zealand. It's also about 5% of your total audience. Mm-hmm. How, yeah, how do you sort of navigate those, those complexities? Cause it's not uncomplicated. Yeah, it is. It's complicated, but I just, I see it as a transaction between me and our audience. And I'm lucky enough that We don't consider ourselves activists because we just can't be activists for everything or everyone, but we have a community full of amazing activists and they're very vocal. And so if I've missed something or they want me to cover something, they'll send stuff to me, they'll let me use their words and their voices and their experiences because I'm not going to talk about a lived experience I haven't had, but I want to elevate the shit out of it because I want to create awareness. And so I think just having that real, like in my gut knowledge that, There's so many things that aren't for me to talk about, but there are a lot of things for me to kind of platform and sticking to that and using my audience and my DMs or my emails or whatever is how we navigate that. Because you're right, it's it's not easy and, and a lot of guilt does come with running this platform and feeling like you're not doing enough or amplifying enough, but you just have to kind of through that you do yeah and and how do you sort of the the other thing about it is like running a global news organization which is not what you're doing but it's not a million miles away is a thing that takes hundreds of people and layered complexities to that as well and not to mention the financial costs the way you've kind of routed around it is is by some of it's the community creating things for you to share some of it's through Taking material from other news organisations uh, and and share, sharing like, that. Do, do you have you had any kind of relationships with other organisations who've worked to share? Do they see you as an ally who's amplifying their work and their brand, or is there ever a sort of critique that you are kind of taking and building a business around, in some senses, around the work? Of the the hard graft of uh, of other organisations. Yeah, so I've done so much thinking about this, and I think it's it's changed from the start till now. So I think there would have been critique at the start if we were grabbing something from the BBC and sharing it when it wasn't a norm to sort of do this. And and you know, for example, maybe the BBC had chats being like, "Have you seen this shit? You should care about like they're taking our shit and promoting it." But then. 
as news organizations or any big company is kind of gravitated towards social media and trying to understand the youth, they can see that as long as we're crediting where it's from, it's actually a bit of a win for them, not only to be aligned with us, who are seen as a really credible and kind of edgy and fun source that young people are going to go to, but it's also just sharing their work and we give links to go and read it. And then I also, in the ecosystem that is the media, we are not competing with any of the traditional media sources. We never want to be breaking the news. You know, we don't want to be reporting on the news at the very beginning of a story. We always want to be breaking it down. So we're not in competition. We just, we rely on the brilliant work of brilliant journalists to be alive. And I'm so aware of that and so thankful for it. So I've thought a lot about this, Doug. (laughs) I know, I know, because we haven't talked about it. I was like, I know she's thought about this. So... Because that's that's sort of what's what's interesting to me and gets to what I think is the you know along with the kind of repurposing the platform thing one of the most interesting parts about Cisco is that you you kind of view yourself as the audience and you kind of study your own responses and curiosity totally. and that that's a you know, a big part of why you're successful I think also young people consume media. In totally different ways, there's a, there are different value sets and assumptions. It's just it's just like a, it's a foreign country that we as traditional media, and I'm including my, the spinoff in this, even though we try and have a different uh, tone mm-hmm. and emphasis ourselves. Like I guess, what what do you see? Because when I look at you know like the tr- traditional media outlets, and this isn't true of everyone all the time, but it is broadly true, is that they have a particular voice and um, posture that that can feel, you know, when you sort of look at it with fresh eyes can feel kind of alienating yeah. to, to to particularly people who come up through social media, which is a lot mm-hmm. looser and more vernacular. What, what What is your sort of perception of the way that media, you know, mainstream media, like big traditional media kind of speaks to or about younger people? Yeah, well, the whole reason we started Shit You Should Care About was because the traditional media felt very inaccessible and... Young people value authenticity so much, and I think authenticity comes from tone a lot of the time. And obviously, we are a biased platform, so we can use our tone for the causes we care about, whereas big traditional news sources obviously have to be sort of less biased. Um, And so I think we have the ability to be really authentic, which is what's lacking and what can make traditional media feel like it's not speaking to you. It doesn't feel like it's a mate talking to you, which it shouldn't always because you need people like AP News just giving the facts or else the world will be even more screwed than it is. You touched on it earlier again, but I find it so... um Interesting. And you actually wrote really brilliantly about it recently, is is sort of stand culture. And, you know, you wrote a really impassioned piece for Shit You Should Care About, uh, which basically covered the way that being a young directioner with a, um, you know, kind of a massive Twitter account, let's be honest, sort of basically laid the foundations for what you would do with Cisco. It's the kind of equivalent of the indie band that the, the you know the guitarist yeah. was in before before the main thing. Like to talk through your your experience of direction, geek out about what they were as a band and then explain how it set the stage for what was to come. Okay, so I could talk for days about fandom and standom. I've only realized recently that this is what helped me become kind of good at social media if we want to call me that. 
But to think <laughs> if anyone on earth is, you are. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Um, I don't know. When I was when I was about fourteen or fifteen, One Direction obviously were put into a band on the X Factor, which was new and exciting in itself. And then they were just incredibly good looking and just great at being authentic people. Like, weren't the best singers, did not create the best music, and I, I hope directioners aren't listening to this because <laughs> maybe that's controversial that I've said that. However, they just had this kind of aura about them that you wanted to connect with them and you were, like, in love with them. Like, it was the first time I've really properly felt. Like, there was a little Jonas Brothers thing back in the day, but, like, One Direction was, like, my bread and butter. And so I... Um, I realised that, like, everyone was sharing all these cringe... I have a real thing with cringe. I don't like cringe stuff. And so people were sharing, like, these cringe tweets and, I don't know, content. And I just started sort of making memes, like, funny content. And I still do it with shit you should care about today. And and then the memes on Twitter started getting shared and I'd just, like, reply to their tweets with, like, funny responses, not, like, sort of simping over them. <laughs> <laughs> And and then I realised that, like, oh, people actually, you know, are engaging with this because it's, like, not normal. It's pretty funny and it's, like, quite sarcastic. It's very Kiwi, dare I say Kiwi on this podcast. <laughs> um, but I realised that, you know, I love communicating and I love doing it through social media. And then I would read, like people that had written fan fiction and I'd sort of get on Wattpad and they wouldn't have put commas anywhere and, like, it would be really badly written. So I was kind of, like, half reading it, half critiquing it and I was learning how to, like, Photoshop and code on Tumblr and just all these transferable skills that I did not think would transfer into everyday life because I was made to feel like it was embarrassing that I was a directioner by my brothers and the rest of society. <laughs> In that order. <laughs> um, and I don't know. Now that I'm 23, I'm realising that these skills that I learnt are transferable because I use them every day. And I want young women particularly to know that their interests are valid. Like, my brother was obsessed with cycling and I never gave him shit for hosting, like, Tour de France sleepovers and blah, blah, blah. But as soon as I put One Direction's, like, faces on sticks to take their concert, that's embarrassing. I saw, as someone who's, like, was a high school cyclist and also real old One Direction fan, I, th I think they're both fine. Yeah, thank you. And they absolutely are. But one of them is way more stigmatised than the other. So, all of this to say, young woman are allowed to be interested in stuff. They don't, you can just do it for fun. You, can, you don't have to take transferable skills. But, like, you should know that some of this shit that you're learning, you can put on your resume. Like, some of it's Photoshop, video editing, fan fiction writing, writing. It's, it's all good stuff. It is. And it's also, like, it's way more fun to learn those skills over this amazing package of a band yes. or whatever it is you're into, anime, activism, whatever the thing is, than, like, Whatever being forced uh, to go and sit in a lecture, like, yeah, you're just yeah. going to be so more, much more impassioned about it. You're going to learn better, and then the employer's going to benefit. It's just, yeah, we could go for days. Just have it to take a very quick break. Uh, we'll be back shortly with Lucy from Cisco. The fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out of home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis.
Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. So one thing that's kind of carried across from those days is a, is a deep and profound abiding love for Harry Styles in particular, but also for other pop cultural figures that kind of feel like they're fused with the moment and um, uh, and connect with the, the whole, just the whole current thing for, for young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of still do that on this account, which is otherwise like international relations <laughs> and, and technology and so on. How does the audience respond to that? Because, you know, three million people aren't going to agree on everything. You know, there's nothing you could post to make them all happy. If, well, it would be, be a horrible, horrible thing. I know. Um, the, the loudest people in the comments are always the people that don't agree with something, right? So it's always like I'll post something about the environment and, you know, it'll get like okay engagement and the commenters will be all fine I'll post something about Harry Styles and then everyone comes out of the woodwork like this isn't shit I should care about and blah 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 which is just really a not original comment so if you're going to comment that (laughs) think of something funny that I can clap back to at least Um, but the engagement is always way higher so people say they don't want it or they don't like it but the quiet people do want it and they do like it and we're just humans and we're allowed to like more than one thing. We don't just have to be like trolling the news every day. We can enjoy culture and then just, I don't know, if you're scrolling on Instagram and one photo of Harry Styles in your feed is going to ruin your day, then I think you need to take a bit of a break from Instagram and sort of just remember the world we're in and like some things shouldn't get you up in arms. You know, and and just if you don't have anything nice to say, maybe just don't hurt Lucy in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a, it's a tale as old as time, isn't it? Um, so on that though, the 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 beautiful thing and the terrifying thing about social media is is the interactivity of it and the the fact that. It's just it's a, there's a relentlessness to it and an accessibility of people running accounts that uh, is a lot to carry. Like, how do you sort of survive that? I get asked this question a lot. One of the most important things we did when we started Shit You Should Care About was to very consciously leave ourselves and our faces out of it. Um just because we're not, it's not about us at all. We're not here for clout. We're not here trying to sell you shit. Like brands that reach out to us always say, oh, if you actually pose with this or like if you hop in the stories, it's going to convert to way more sales. And we're like, that's just not what we're about. We don't want to convert this to sales. Like we want our audience to give a shit about stuff. So so one thing that really helps is that we are divorced from the platform like physically. No one, I, I could walk down the street and no one would know who I am. And it's not because I'm ashamed of shit you should care about, but it's just because I want it that way, and and it's been the best decision we've ever made. The next thing is, with, with trolls in particular, I don't know a single person that would sit behind their laptop or phone and troll someone else, like comment something nasty to someone else. So they're all very faceless 
to me. Like, it's just this big blur, almost like someone wearing an anonymous mask. Like, it's just kind of like, I don't know who you are and I can't picture you, so it doesn't hurt me that much. But um, I think probably what hurts me more is when, like, when people don't realise that I'm one person, which is not their fault, but when they don't realise that I'm one person and Instagram also can't be your start and finish to educating yourself on a topic and I never want to sort of come across as rude on the platform but there have been instances where I've had to say like this topic actually demands more from you than it does from me you need to go and do your own research and I know that you see me as the person to do that but I can't be a history teacher sometimes because some things are very personal to people so it's just a lot of like checking in with yourself which sounds lame and but you know big platform one person the stresses do come (laughs) but yeah which which uh, you know I don't think you handle them real well the um but it's not one person right so talk about Ruby and Liv and and what they bring to it and maybe give us a little bit of a sense of because until like 10 minutes ago you were you know, you're all like studying or, you know, like you were in different cities. Yeah. Now it's, you know, you're currently here uh, making a show that we're, we're going to talk about um, at some point. But um, let's let's hear, hear what Ruby and Liv bring to, to Siska. To Siska. So we have the dream team. And I do have to say when I said one person just before, I meant one person behind the Instagram because content or voice through the Instagram, like you're hearing right now, lovely listeners, you're probably hearing me. Like, I do the content and the tone. I'm a tone obsessive. Liv is a creative genius. She has this ability to listen to something I say or I read and just, like, put it into the most perfect, freaky, weird visuals that I just appreciate so much because I could never do. And she's an incredible artist and just person. And we get each other. Rubes fills my gaps perfectly because I don't like the commercial side or, you know, the strategy side, really. I'm more of a, like, trust your gut and use your tone and blah, blah, blah. That'll only get you so far. Probably won't bring in the money. So Ruby is such a legend because she wants to do that. And you'll know, Dung, working in, like, creative areas or editorial areas, like, you think that everyone wants to do the fun bits. And we've talked about this before, like, the fun creative bits. And it's hard to find someone that doesn't want to do that and kind of wants to do the strategic bits. Rubes is that person for us. She loves being in on the fun stuff, but she weirdly also likes, you know, getting that bag. It's not weird. <laughs> no, it's, it's not weird, but it's like... It's just I'm, different kinds of people. Yeah, and, and but I'm it's so really happy. good for you that you have that kind of essentially those those kind of key disciplines yes. of a media organisation sort and, of filled out. people that are happy to do it, I'd never want to put someone in a box and be like... Ruby, please go and sell this for us. She's like, hey, I've seen this and I want to make this work for us. I'm like, thank you, because I can't. So so let's talk a bit about the, you know, now that you're in one room um, and starting to move into the next thing, kind of t- turning pro in a way or more pro. Uh, I'm not an expert, Duncan. I saw you put on headphones. It's, it's all good. Um, so the... Yeah, like what, what? What? What's? What's next? How do you? How do you make this go from this enormous platform that you can kind of commoditize in some ways to to being something that 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 can go bigger or different or yeah? What, what are you? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, um, 
I will say, full disclosure, that I do get a bit of help from Duncan on this side of things because this has been where I've wanted to take Siska pro, quote-unquote, but I just haven't known how. And it's so, at the moment, we're working on a web series called Extremely Online with some funding from New Zealand On Air and with Hexwork Productions, which is just so buzzy and fun because I've never done anything like that before and I've never been paid to do this work before. So... If the government realises that people are sort of all watching stuff online and moving online and they want to keep funding that and keep doing more youth-based things, that would be mean so we can keep paying our rent. Anyway, that was a side note. But we're working on a web series about the weird corners of the internet at the moment, which is one way that we're sort of monetizing. We also have a podcast, The Shit Show, which is like my favourite thing in the world, but... We haven't monetized it yet, so it's sort of taking a bit of a backseat. It's, it's really, really good. If if you if you enjoy this podcast, you should one hundred percent check it out because I feel like to, like you kind of go deep into whatever the thing is that is that week, and it's very much of a piece with the account. But you can kind of go deeper and weirder, and and it's it's very funny. And yeah, it rolls. <laughs> oh, thanks, Doug. Um, so yeah, we're looking at you know the kind of traditional funding ways of monetizing what you already have, like putting ads within. And then we're really interested in newsletters and branching out into that area, but that's all a, like, work in progress. Uh, the other thing that that I want to talk about just, just before I let you get back to <laughs> crushing it is, um, is your Discord. Because mm-hmm. that, to me, like, almost exemplifies this sort of natural, intuitive way that you have operated Cisco. And, you know, there are certain places where people might not might expect you to be, like TikTok, that you're not, mm-hmm. and others which might not naturally seem like the place, like Discord, where you've just immediately gone and figured out a way for it to run itself. And just mm-hmm. tell me what you're doing there and why. So Discord. I've what is Discord? <laughs> Discord is like a giant chat room, right? But with different channels to talk about different things. It's a big old group chat. And I never thought we'd be on Discord. But as I said before, I'm real interested in community building and just like loves a yarn. So I decided to start a Discord just to see. The great thing about having no one telling me what to do is that I will just try anything and everything, and if it doesn't work, then it's like, whatever. And if it does, mean. So the Discord is sitting at about, I think there's like 10,000 people in the Discord right now, and like there's always like 1,000 people online just talking at different times about different things, and it's real fun to just jump in and see like this community we've facilitated. And it's sort of like a niche thing, so I think the fact that even... 10,000 people have had to learn how to use Discord and then they're actively talking in it is really cool. And I don't know, there's channels for like world news and to talk about your pets or to talk about your mental health or you like posting your wins. And we have like a team of moderators who are just these extremely online people who are fucking great at their job. And there's like 20 of them across different time zones that will just make sure the chat is always safe and friendly and there's bots you can get and all these weird things that can help moderate it for you which this all sounds like a lot but you don't have to do any of this if you want to join the discord you can sort of just come and talk <laughs> not to plug it no plug it I reckon <laughs> yeah. um, thank you so much for coming on the fold oh thanks for having me Doug uh, just just so inspiring what you do and how you do it <laughs> vice versa 
That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.